Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover the personal journeys behind their work. Explore options from indie to traditional publishing and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to this special broadcast. I'm your host, Catherine Taylor Musso, and joining me is Mark Griffin, the chair of the board of directors for the Lionel Kelland Hospice. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. Now, Mark, we are sitting now in the suite, the model suite, and I also do want to mention off the top that we're enjoying the wonderful spaces people eventually will, but we are also socially distanced and following all the proper protocols to make this a very safe and informative interview. Um, Mark, let's just start by opening up. Many people do know what the Lionel Kelland Hospice is, uh, certainly all the people in our region, but there will be people watching this from far and wide. Would you like to just tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, we it's it's residential hospice. It's not a new concept, but it is certainly new in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, we started this process a number of years ago, and we built a base of support from the community. We've also got the government online to, par or to uh, partner with us to the tune of roughly $3 million for the capital expense plus the design cost. In addition to that, they've contributed on an operating basis, or they're going to contribute rather, $1.3 million annually. Um, and the, uh, the idea is to basically recognize that the resident uh, and the family, the resident or the client, and it allows a, a, an individual to have a dignified death in a home-like setting as opposed to uh, an institution. And um, that's basically the genesis of what we are. It's a continuum of your healthcare, the provision of healthcare from birth through to, uh, to death. And, and it was recognized by a number of health professionals in our community that this was a uh, deficiency. Uh, so it started there and bit by bit it grew. The building that we're in now was donated by the Presentation Sisters. Um, we've raised in excess of a million dollars from the community in addition to the government's contribution. So it's been, um, uh, you know, very, very well received. So that's essentially the background, I guess, of mm -hmm. how we got here today. Well, Mark, certainly I believe I'm correct in saying that Newfoundland has never had a hospice. This will be the first hospice in our province. That is correct, yes. And we're, we're very excited about that. Uh, what we hope is that this will basically be the genesis of others, because we, while this is going to be a province-wide facility, uh, we would expect over time the need for these is going to grow. Now, well, I shouldn't say it's going to grow. We're going to realize the need for it is going to be larger than than this one uh, one facility. But we're proud to be what will be the first one, and uh, we certainly envision a point in time when when there's there's a number of these throughout the province servicing everybody. Mark, in, when when this idea began and. You know, to to take it from that point to where we are now, has it been a period of would you say two or three years, or is it longer than that? Oh, it's been uh, it's probably close to five years from the point that 
uh, you know, the, the, the original health professionals had this as an idea. Uh, so we're probably close to five years on that. We're probably four years of board formation and things of that nature. Uh, we're about we're probably about a year and a half from the government's uh, partnership with us in terms of the capital funding as well as the operational funding. So you know those would be the points along the the timeline, if you will. Mark, it's been a very very difficult year for every charitable organization for. Churches, I mean, we none of us expected 2020 to look like this with COVID. And how certainly has this impacted um, the this project? It's uh, It's been difficult. It, it basically put us on hold because if you go back, um, we had uh, we had called for tenders to uh, to uh, to secure a prime consultant to do the design work. Uh, those tenders closed sometime in January. The schedule, the timeline was, I think, on the 9th of March was when we were going to actually award the tender. And the, the design work was basically going to start literally the day after. And, of course, we all know what happened around that time in March. So all of that really was put on hold. Uh, now we've, we've, we're back on track now, so we are now... The design is ongoing. We are now where we probably would have been in early April had the pandemic not hit. Um, so we've got that back on track. But obviously, it has it, it has impacted the fundraising. We had, uh, for example, uh, in memoriam gifts was a was a significant part of our fundraising through funerals. Obviously, those types of gatherings are no longer permitted. Uh, other, we've we had third-party events that say St. Joseph's Church would organize, or Rotary would organize, and and various partners. Obviously, they're not able to proceed in the same manner. So, uh, but but we're working through that, and we're redesigning basically how these things are going to work. Uh, so it's uh, you know it certainly set us back on a timeline, but it's certainly not going to set us back on what the ultimate goal is going to be. Yes, and. <clears throat> Actually, from a financial point of view, how close are you to where you wanted to be comparatively? How far behind do you feel you might be? I, I, I don't feel us as behind financially. We're, we're probably a little bit behind on a timeline basis in the sense that we are what we're doing now in December of 2020, we had hoped to be doing in April of 2020. Uh, so it's, it's almost as if, a, you know, a blood, we were in suspended an animation for, you know, a period of time until the, until the pandemic kind of worked through. Because even in our dealings with government, government's been a, you know, government's an important partner in this, but even in our dealings with them, that would be necessary getting the funding agreements and memorandums of understanding. Even that couldn't proceed because obviously they were all preoccupied and focused on, uh, on COVID, as they should have been, and uh, whatnot. But, you know, we like to think now we're past that. We recognize that there will be some implications for how fundraisers are going to have to work, having regard to social distance, but we're, 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 we're not in a holding pattern anymore. No, and I think that all organizations are recognizing that, and people are very, very inventive. I yeah. think I read in your newsletter that you're going to be having Hike for Hospice yeah. is one concept, and we are seeing that all over the Internet. Mm -hmm. Well, that can be done virtually. Yeah. So I think people will definitely be creative and adapt to yeah. continuing support with events. And there's no doubt. And, and one of the things that did, uh, you know, was exposed, I guess, through through the pandemic, and there were a lot of people who really died alone 
because of an inability to have people around them. So that has certainly raised the profile of what of how important a dignified and a, and a death with your loved ones around you, how important that is. And uh, certainly uh, in amongst all of the bad things that came to pandemic, certainly we think anyway that there's going to heighten awareness of the importance of what we are trying to do here and what other hospices throughout the country do as well. Yeah, it's actually an excellent point. And I think what happens, I mean, where we're sitting now is very much like a family and a home setting. And what essentially happens is the family members can be uh, loving and with their, their, their loved ones rather than caregivers at the time of passing. And I think that's a huge difference in, in that relationship and in that important po in point in all their lives. Yeah, and, and that is the, the fundamental difference. I mean, if you look around this room, mm -hmm. uh, anybody looking at this room would, if we didn't tell them what it is, would think it's a hotel room. Maybe, uh, you know, it doesn't have an institutional look. It does look like a home. It looks like a place you'd call home. I mean, the fixtures and so on. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's the premise. And um, as you say, we allow the parents, or we, pardon me, we allow the family and the extended family of the resident, we allow them to be loved ones and uh, share those precious moments that are at a point when there's very few of them left and not be preoccupied with, uh, the care. I mean, obviously, they are going to provide care and comfort to to the family, to the loved one, but that's not going to be the primary focus. We'll have we'll have professional help to do that, so they can really deal with the grieving, the goodbyes, you know, the last birthdays, etc. So uh, and do so in a in a dignified, in a proper setting. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we all recognize that. You know, uh, uh, when when a person is dying, it's a spiritual time. There's many things that go on in one's mind and in a family's mind. So this allows them to deal with that. You know, hopefully, in an unobstructed fashion. Because one thing, you know, one thing we do know, um, in many instances, when when families provide the care to uh, a dying family member, in many cases, it's not uncommon that they themselves have some complications that arise from that, whether it's depression, whether it's physical, uh, because they've been drained if they're older and so on. So we, we think that this allows the family to just simply, you know, love the loved one and receive the love of the loved one. So. Mm -hmm. And this facility, as you say, is a very comforting facility and environment, but it, you know, also on the other side of this room, which people can't see, you know, there's a hospital bed. And even though it has a beautiful quilt on it yeah. and so on, it's still the service that they're going to need in terms of managing pain or what, you know, all the other things that go along with the dying process. Um, but this facility itself is also so much more than this room. This is wonderful, each suite. I think you're going to have 10 or 10 or 12 gonna, suites. Well, the design is we'll have 10 suites. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have actually on, a, on the, the, the main floor, we're gonna, or pardon me, on the second floor, we're going to have some uh, residential suites that will accommodate family uh, who are here uh, and uh, multi-purpose rooms. There's a chapel in, in this uh, building, so that's going to stay as a spiritual 
space, uh, you know, recognizing that anybody at end of life, whether whether it's you yourself at end of life or or your family members, it is a spiritual experience, and whatever, whatever that may mean for those individuals. So we want to have quiet spaces. We have some beautiful grounds. We have, uh, you know, the the the, the long term goals, of course, that they'd be uh, walkways and pathways, so you can get outside, fresh air. Uh, and those types of uh, those types of things that you can imagine become important at that time. So they're moments of peace, mm-hmm. and and that's really what it is. Because everybody comes in here, any resident comes in here, they know they know uh, obviously at what point they are. So uh, we're not trying to cure; we're trying to make comfortable and peaceful. And, and have it be as gracious as it possibly can be and what is otherwise obviously a you know a difficult time mm-hmm. and uh, it, it provides dignity I think to the, the patients and to the families and an opportunity the resources here are absolutely beautiful the chapel and and actually which brings me back to the point I just did want to mention again the presentation sisters because they donated this facility to you yes uh, it's not that it didn't need a lot of work the donation was totally incredible but what was contained here the space and the kitchen and maybe you could just talk a little bit about that well this gives us and I can't speak enough about the partnership with the presentation sisters because for the benefit of anybody watching this, uh, obviously their first involvement was the donation of the facility that we're going to refit, but it has not in any way, shape, or form stopped there. And they're, they're very committed to this, and uh, and uh, for that, obviously, we uh, we very much appreciate that. But we do because of what this building was, and we're going to do a refit. There are certain things in it, like there's a very, you know, there's a substantial commercial kitchen, there's a private dining room, uh, the chapel I referred to earlier. These are things. If we were doing a new build, these are things that you wouldn't likely have in a new build. You wouldn't have the green space that we have around it. Um, so because of the situation we find ourselves in. Um, these are things that you know wouldn't exist in a new build, but they're going to be very important enhancements to what the end result facility will be. So we're we're very fortunate and grateful that uh, that we are in that uh, position because we think this can offer uh, that spiritual personal experience that maybe you know, may not exist in a brand new build. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes yeah. budgets determine what yeah. you can have. Absolutely. Where this, you, you've been given the gift yeah. that has included all these things. Sure. Which is wonderful. Absolutely yes. beautiful. And we will indeed make well, uh, you know, we will make use of that. And that's an important part of our, our design conversation as well, that we want these, uh, you know, uh, uh, peaceful spaces so that, you know, uh, family members uh, can basically, um, you know, they can get away from, they can, you know, they can step away from, from, you know, the resident room and so on. Uh, so we think we'll offer that here, you know, in many, in many facets. Because again, that's a different, that means something different for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, Mark, there's more than just this. I mean, there are programs that actually will reach out into the community, but also programs for the families, such as assistance with grief uh, counseling and so on can you talk a little bit about that yeah well grief counseling and and we view we, we view this as holistic care so um, the resident obviously is the reason we're here um, 
but the family is also part of the clientele, if you will, for want of a better word. So uh, we will offer grief counseling for for the family. And there's there's there, there is the uh, you know there is the business side of death, which is sometimes it sounds cold, but it is indeed you know financial affairs, uh, insurance, funeral arrangements, things of that. So we'll provide assistance with all of those things. Uh, to help the family deal with all aspects of the loss of a loved one so they can not be preoccupied with those things and and have that detract from what they should be doing at that time, which is basically uh, just enjoying the last bit of time with the loved one. And, and, and we'll offer as much assistance in those regards as we can. Because, again, we want them, because everybody who comes here, we're looking at, you know, Roughly, you would estimate about thirty-day stay. Uh, we would like that the, the family members of the resident can really focus all their time, their energy, and attention on just you know maximizing the the limited time that they have. What kind of outreach programs might there be into the community? Would it be pastoral care? All of the above. Of the above. Uh, and again, because recognizing that if at any given time, and as you said earlier, we have a ten we have a mm -hmm. ten bed uh, hospice, uh, those needs or wants for those ten people may well be ten different things. We will have people in here that will be of particular faith. We will no doubt have people in here who will be of no faith in terms of uh, no particular re religious affiliation. But they will all have, we would anticipate, their own spiritual needs, whatever that may be. For mm -hmm. some, it may be just, I'm a, I, I just want to sit out in the garden, I want to look at the trees, I want to look at the wind blow through the trees. For others, it may be a religious experience, but we want to, we're not tying ourselves to, you know, one mm -hmm. or the other. We, as best we can, we want to be all things to all to all people. And the care here will be, of course, 24-7. Yes. There'll be a, a team on around the clock. Yeah. Have you determined what, um, you know, what size that team might be at, or is that down the road that's down the road i mean in a general sense what we will have we will have an executive director there will be a medical director and of course there will be nurses and lpns uh, so there will be professional care because you know as much as we'll talk about the spiritual and mm -hmm. the family there are still even though we're not trying to cure the resident anymore but there are still needs i mean they'll need bathing they'll need cleaning we'll have a tub room with a lift so obviously they'll need professional care for that. And that's not something we expect the families to do. Uh, and there will be medications and things of that administered, again, not as treatment, but rather as maintenance, pain management, things like that. So, um, you know, that's that we will have the professional staff to to uh, to deal with that. The actual numbers that I, I you know, that, that'll be a work yeah. in progress. Absolutely. Mark, I'd like to go back to the fundraising component a bit because I think it's important to let the communities know how they can help you. And I also want to mention that this is really a provincial facility. And also, I mean, there are opportunities for you to access funding perhaps through foundations across the country. This is an important interview for people to share and to, you know, but as well, how can they help with fundraising? What can they do for you well, this year? Well, we're, uh, we're in the process now of rolling out basically a full capital campaign. That is something that would have happened back in spring, but of course that, that was delayed, obviously, by the pandemic. 
Uh, right now, we've actually put out a Christmas giving campaign. So we've we've went to you know people who have been supporters and donors in the past, and that's been going very well. So um, you know you, we can be contacted on our Facebook page, and there's online donations you can make on our website. We also still. Um, even though it's it's changed in terms of how we do funerals and things of that nature, but in memoriam donations where we're designated as a charity, uh, so donations can be made in the name of the deceased. Um, so uh, you know, and and you know, there there are many ways, but you know, check our website um, and our Facebook page and and uh, and whatnot, and we will be rolling out in short order the capital campaign as well. Mark, the website is cute. Do you have it right at the top of your head? Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm a bit of a technical luddite, I'm afraid to uh -huh. say, but it would be LionelKellen, I think, dot com. Is hospice in there? Well, we'll get that I, up on the screen. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, okay. I just I would just Google Lionel Kellen <laughs> as a favorite of mine, there so I don't go. type it anymore. Yeah. And I am a luddite, so. Well, people can do that. <laughs> so, and and it is very easy to do that yeah, to go on the website and the and, and the. Connections are there, but if they don't want to do that, of course, you have someone here part-time yep, as we well. Do. Mary Kelly is working here. Yes. And uh, they can certainly call, yep. and uh, and there's email accessibility. So I think I think it's important for people perhaps to be a little creative. Uh, some of the ideas I've heard is perhaps if your family members are not making it home this year, which is highly possible, maybe make a donation um, you know, to recognize that and, and to yeah. just make an offering that way. So there's yeah. many ways people can well, well, you know, some of the things that we've at least tried to put out there, of course, uh, for some people, you know, that, that, that relative that you don't know what to buy for a Christmas mm -hmm. gift, maybe a donation in their name would be appreciated. Uh, uh, you know, employee giving uh, programs, I mean, we're certainly, we welcome that. Uh, we've had instances where uh, employees in certain organizations in lieu of exchanging gifts have made, uh, you know, a donation to Lionel Kellen Hospice. So, um, you know, we're, we're open uh, and certainly uh, we'll accept, you know, we obviously, you know, we'll accept whatever. Uh, but there are uh, uh, there are a lot of options, and it's quite it's quite heartening, quite frankly, to see the creativity that people come up with to both before the pandemic, but after even recognizing that uh, events that would gather a collection of people and lead to a donation, they're challenged now, but yet the the spirit and the desire to help is still there, and that's leading to. Uh, creativity and doing things virtually and and so on so so that really speaks very well to the community and one thing I can't say enough about is the broad community support that we have received from day one you you uh, you and Rogers did our town hall back in May and and you would have seen there firsthand the the, the, the support from the community and the emotion um, in the crowd that showed up and 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 one of the things for us as we go through this and it's it was tough as we went through the pandemic because mm -hmm. it did create a level of uncertainty we didn't know we didn't anticipate um, and it, it got tough at times but but you know you, you look back to that and you can draw on that and say you know this is this is what the community wants this is what the community is 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 behind and it's a great source of inspiration to uh, to to carry forward
And I, and I think it's important to remind people again, you do have support from the government, but it's not going to fund everything. This fundraising component, yep. your capital campaign is going to be a very important part of the fundraising and, and your, um, you know, how you're going to make this facility really work annually. Yeah, oh, absolutely, it absolutely is. It, the idea is we want this to be a, you know, it's a, it's a public-private partnership, private being ourselves. We're a not-for-profit charity, and we have, uh, you know, we've been a designated charity by the Canada Revenue Agency. But there, there, this will be an ongoing, uh, this will be an ongoing uh, process. And, of course, the capital campaign, obviously, that's, the, that's a big-ticket item to get the thing built. Uh, and, of course, but it's also part of building those, uh, donor relations relations and community support that will lead then to the ongoing uh, income to to assist with the uh, the operating almost you know like endowments or whatever so so it's it's all it's all important and uh, and of course the first stage is the capital campaign at this point but that's going to evolve into then the annual giving and so on mm -hmm. well I mean you're certainly off to a tremendous start. And Mark, the um, board, they've been working together for a period of time, and, and you now are the, the chair. I have to ask, it's a huge personal commitment to make, you know, what, what was there a motivation in your life to bring you to this role? Um, well, I was, when the position came up, I was actually approached uh, by a number of board members to see if I'd consider it. And I was truly humbled by that, that, um, that well, on two fronts, one, that, that they, they, they thought I had the um, you know skill set to to serve in that capacity, and also the opportunity that it presented. So um, I'm very grateful for that. It is it is a it is a time commitment. It is at times challenging. Everything doesn't go as smooth as you mm -hmm. want at any point, and um, you know we do. Uh, but we're moving forward. Sometimes we stumble a bit and move a little sideways, but we're moving forward. And that really that gets you through probably the the difficult times. So on a personal level, I'm I'm very proud to to play this role, um, and I think it's uh, you know I I think it's going to benefit many many people. I I experienced the death of my own parents at a relatively young age, and um, you know in those times how we dealt with people dying. They both had you know terminal illnesses, and how we dealt with it. Um, you know, we as children weren't even really aware, and, and that wasn't anybody's fault. That's how people did things in those days. Mm -hmm. But you know, from that experience, you really see the importance of how everybody participates in it, and everybody has that spiritual connection. And I'm very pleased that uh, of the, the role, and it'll be really when it's all said and done, my role will be a small role in what this place will be. Uh, but I'm certainly grateful for the confidence of the board to have me serve in that capacity. But I'm also uh, grateful for the opportunity to give back. And I think that's important. Well, Mark, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of many members of our community and our province. Thank you for taking that role. And thank you to the board members for establish, establishing this and as the first hospice in Newfoundland and Labrador. And I wish you only the best. And again, we will remind people, please be generous and please keep this in your hearts and your mind at this time of year and all year long. And again, Mark, thank you so much for sitting down with me. And thank you very much for the opportunity. And you and yours have a 
of uh, what I hope it'll be a different Christmas this year, but I certainly hope it's a wonderful and rewarding one. Well, there's ways to make it joyful. And, Indeed. And this is one of them. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. If you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.